Good morning. Good morning. We've all seen those commercials, right? Where it says, what's in your wallet? And a lot of people have followed up with those asking, what's in your something else? But I want to ask you this morning, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? As we have begun this new year, since beginning of January, we were finishing the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we were learning about the meaning of life and the purpose of life. We've been learning about what's so important about embracing this life now. It was a call to us to be sure that we don't waste the opportunities of life that we have every single day. Well, starting now, this first day of February, we want to begin talking about what we can do that is new what we can do that is renewed, how God can take our lives where we are right now and give us something that is fresh, something that's vibrant. And oftentimes, when we think about new, we may think about things that are brand new. Like We all like new things, right? Like the smell of a new car, right? We all like new things that God might give to us. We like new clothes, right? We like to have a new house. We like to have new friends. We might want to have a new job. God likes new things, too. In the very beginning, God created something totally new when he created the universe. In the beginning, the Bible tells us God created. And then in John, the Bible says that when God created in the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was a part and parcel of giving life to all of creation. He was there. He was the agent of creation. And then the Bible says that for every Christian, if we are a Christian, if we are in Jesus, we are already a brand new creation. And so we are called by God to experience newness all the time because God is a God of newness. And even when we get to heaven, if we're going to heaven, when we get there, we will hear God say from his throne, Behold, I make all things new. And the last book of the Bible talks about that. That at the very beginning of eternity, Jesus says, God says, I am making all things new. So new things are going to continue all the way into eternity. God wants that newness to be happening in our lives right now. And so this is our series for the next three months, All Things New. God wants to do new things in your life, and he wants to do new things in my life. But we have to have a starting place. We have to have a place to begin. And in all the messages of newness, every place where we begin, it's always going to begin at the same place. We talked about it with our children just a few minutes ago is always going to begin in our spiritual hearts. Whatever new thing we want in life, and there are plenty of things that we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to talk about new faith, a renewed faith. We're going to talk about new hope, about new joy, about new love. We're going to talk about new opportunities of life, new visions that God gives us, a new purpose that maybe we lost our original one, but God wants us to have a renewal of that purpose again. We're going to talk about new songs, we're going to talk about having a new mind, a new attitude. We're going to talk about new power that God gives to us. 
and how to enjoy grace again and again and again. All these things, they're all new. We're going to learn about over the coming months. But they all begin at the same place. And that's where we begin today. That God wants us to have a renewed heart, a clean heart, and a new spirit. God wants us to experience newness from within so that it pours out of our lives. And so I want to pray for us right now that God would do this work of his newness in our lives, even this very moment. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've given to us, for all the good things that we already have. And yet, Lord, because we are human, we get tired and we get weary, and we get burdened and we get hurt, and we get scared, we get discouraged, We want to give up. We feel like there's no hope. We've lost joy. And yet, Lord, in the midst of all that, you say, you know what, my child? I have something new for you. I have something to refresh you and to restore you and to revive you. And that there is no place so low that I cannot pick you back up and bring you to a place of wholeness and hope So, Lord, we come to you this day, and we pray that we would learn in this day the promises that you give to us and the hope for newness, even right now. Lord, help us to receive this. Help us to accept this gift. Help us to hear your voice, even as we sing. Lord, open the eyes of our heart that we might see and that we might hear you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you would turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 51, there are um, some Bibles there on the inside. If somebody would just reach down that's sitting on the chair on the inside and pass them to the outside for anyone who doesn't have one. In Psalm chapter 51, and if you want to use your outline, it is there as well. Psalm's right in the middle of the Bible, so it's fairly easy to find the biggest book of the Bible, so it gives us a lot of choices there. Psalm 51. So as you go there, you'll see that there's an introduction to the psalm. The editors of the Bible put this in there. And it helps us to understand what the context is of the verses that we're about to read. And so we see in the introduction to Psalm chapter 51 that this is a psalm that was written for the director of music. All right, This is a psalm written for the director of music. And we find out who wrote the words. It says, it is a psalm of David, so our children were right. And we talked about who wrote that psalm, Psalm 51. And then it says, when the prophet Nathan came to him, after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now think about that for just a moment. It would be like if I went to Jerry and go, hey, Pastor Jerry, you know, you're the pastor of worship here. I would like you to write a song for me. And he goes, all right, what would you like me to write about? And I go, well, I'd, I'd like you to write about my deepest, darkest sin. And, and he goes, really? And he goes, yeah. And, I, and he goes, well, why would you want to do that? I go, well, I want the congregation to sing it. Right? <laughs> In fact, I want it to be a, a hit, all right? all right? And I want the whole world to sing it. I want the whole world to know about this. And you'd go, huh? Why? It's interesting. David wrote this psalm 
And he wanted it to be put in the Psalter, our Bible. God wanted it there. Why? Well, it's very probable that the whole world already knew his world, what David had done. The scandal had already been let out. That David had taken a wife that wasn't his own and committed adultery. And that David had taken his, her husband and had him murdered. And so we read about this story in the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, where David was supposed to, as king, go out to war. He was supposed to lead the troops out into war to be the leader of their country, but instead he stayed back. And while he stayed back, he was looking out of his balcony, and he saw this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And she was the wife of one of his top men, not just one of his soldiers, but one of his very top men. One of David's mighty men was Uriah. And so Uriah was out there leading the troops into battle. David was at home, and David took Uriah's wife. And of course, David knew that that was wrong, and he tried to cover it up. And the way that he covered it up was that he had Uriah put at the front of the troops so that he would be killed in battle, so that people might think that Bathsheba was pregnant by him before he left. But that wasn't true. And God knew that. And David knew that. And God told the prophet Nathan what David had done. And so if we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel, which will be before Psalms, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, let me read to you the story of what happened when Nathan went to go and talk to David about his sin. When David went to go and talk, when Nathan went to go and talk to David about what had happened and what God thought of the situation. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And there it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one a rich man and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him as, and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. God used a tender story to open up a heart. God used a story of a man who was very poor. And in his family, he had some children, and they had a little pet, like a little puppy. And this was his little ewe lamb. And they loved this little ewe lamb. They would never eat this ewe lamb, no matter how hungry they were, because it was part of their family. But there was a rich man. 
And the rich man, he had plenty of lambs. He had plenty of sheep. He had plenty of cattle. He could have killed any of them to feed a traveler as they came by for a meal. But he didn't. He was selfish. And he was greedy. And he took the lamb of this poor family and he slaughtered it and he ate it and he gave it to the traveler. This was a story that opened up the heart of the king. And the king said, surely that man must die for what he did. And Nathan said, you committed adultery. No, he didn't say that. All he said was, you are the man. There's times in our lives where we just feel guilty all the time. It's just there. People don't need to know what that sin is, but we know. And the slightest thing about it can open up our conscience, and we think about that sin, even though nobody may know about it. Nathan didn't mention what David had done. He just told this story, but it opened up his conscience, and it opened up his heart. And so when Nathan said, you are the man, David knew right away what he was talking about. I want us to think about it this way. So whatever sin we've created, whatever sin we've done, whatever we may feel guilty about, God has a story of a little ewe lamb for you and for me. And the story of the little ewe lamb tells us that God cares very much about he doesn't come to pounce us with guilt. He doesn't come to expose our sin to the whole world. He knows we know what it is. And it's enough for him to tell us through the story of a tender little baby lamb that he loves us. And he lets us come to grips with the reality of our need for him. He lets us come to grips in the reality of a very tender and private and caring moment so that we ourselves can deal with it. And the king, in his way of dealing with it, wanted the whole world to know that he experienced God's forgiveness. He wanted the whole world to know that, yes, he was guilty, but that God is a God of love. God is the creator of the ewe lamb. God is the storyteller who brings us into a place where we can have new beginnings even at the lowest point of our lives. And if we can have new beginnings at the lowest point of our lives, certainly we can have new beginnings at every other point as well. And so this morning, God wants us to hold on to him and to reach out to him. Because again, this is where it always begins. And this is where David begins. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. And so whenever we come to a place in our lives where we want freshness, where we want newness, what David would say to us and what we can say to God is, I will grasp upon the unchanging character of God. I will grasp upon God who never changes. The, the big word for unchangeable would be a word called immutable, that God is immutable. And the definition of that is that God is spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite eternal and unchanging. This is how God feels about you and about me. He loves us. And in his character that is unchanging, David cries out. He seeks to grasp onto each one of these three things. And the first one is God's mercy. And this word mercy means to moan over somebody. 
to moan over somebody else's grief. That God has a mercy and an affection of love for us. And then not only that, but God has a loving kindness towards us. That no matter what we've done, God's kindness is powerful and is reaching out to us. That God's loving kindness is there for us. It is an unfailing love. There is nothing we can do, nothing we can do that would make God not love us. There is nothing we can do that would make God love us less. In fact, when we do wrong things, it seems to excite God's desire to show us his love all the more. That he wants us to know how much he cares about us. It doesn't mean we ought to sin so that we can know that love. But it does mean that when we do, we can be confident that God wants us to be near to him. That it excites his compassion, which is the third thing that God wants us to know. And this word compassion means tender mercies. Tender mercies and pities. It's a word that speaks not just about the heart, but about the bowels. It speaks about the inner feelings, the inner workings of a person that feels everything that God wants us to know. He feels with compassion a desire to help us. And when we reach out to him, he will reach back and hold on to us. David knew, even though he was the man, he knew forgiveness was possible. He knew a relationship with God did not have to be severed. And so he reached out to God. And then he speaks. And when he speaks, he expresses, not just to Nathan, and not just to himself, but to us as well. He speaks to us about how he wants us to learn from his mistakes. He wants us to learn from what he did wrong. And so we read at the end of verse 1, and then going on through verse 5, David says, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. God wants us to know that we can be clean again. I, I don't know why I do this, okay? Um, maybe it's because when I was little, my mother used to say, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Um, and actually, if you go back, they, you know, you trace that according to the internet. It was actually preached in a sermon by Charles Wesley that he was the first one to say cleanliness is next to godliness, even though we don't necessarily find a verse like that in the Bible. Okay, but, but, but for whatever reason, um, I like to clean things when my family is gone. Okay, so like, um, for example... When Gabriel went off to college, he actually doesn't know this. He's hearing this for the first time. Um, when Gabriel went off to college um, six, over six years ago, I missed him terribly. All right, a first child going away to college, and some of you parents are going to go through that. Get ready to cry. Um, it hurts. But anyway, so, so Gabriel went away to college, and the first thing I did after he left is I went to his room, and I cleaned it. I just cleaned it. I got, got the dust thing out and cleaned it put stuff away, threw things away, made his bed, did everything, cleaned the rug, cleaned the mirrors, cleaned everything. I don't know why I did that, but I did. When um, 
Angela went away to college. I did the same thing. Went into her room, cleaned up. It was a lot easier to clean up her room. Um, but I cleaned up her room, all right? Okay, now, two weeks ago, my wife went on a vacation. Carol, all right? She's in Australia right now with her mom on a cruise. Uh, I wasn't invited. I'm <laughs> not hurt. Oh, all right. But anyway, I just started cleaning our bedroom. I've been, I've been cleaning our shower. I've been cleaning our bedroom. I've been cleaning her side of the bed. I, I've been cleaning everything in our bedroom. So when she comes home, there'll be a nice, clean bedroom there. Don't know why I do this, but I do. There's something in me that likes to be clean. Maybe that's true of all of us. There's something about us that wants cleanliness in the relationships we have. There's something about us that even doing an act for somebody to clean something that is theirs is an act of deep love and intimacy. To clean, you know, right? I remember the first time I gave Gabriel a bath. I was terrified, okay? But I videotaped it, right? I remember videotaping the birth of, I mean, the first bath for Gabriel. I won't show anybody, promise, Gabe. Um, but I remember, like, putting the video scene up, and I said, okay, first, you need a place to, to wash the baby. Then you need warm water. It's almost as if I thought someday I'd do an infomercial. And then I said, now you need the baby. Right? And so then we, we washed the baby very carefully. You know, you're so tender with the baby. You're so scared of hurting it. You know, God, I think, is the same way with us. When we sin, when we mess up, he's not mad at us. Like a parent, he wants to clean us gently and carefully. And David wanted us to know this more than an infomercial. He put it in the Bible. And so he said, God, I want you to blot out my transgressions. I want you to wash away all my iniquity. I want you to cleanse me from all my sin. And as you read this, notice how many times he says, my and I. So the second thing that God wants us to do when we want something new is to take full responsibility for everything we're about to do and everything we've ever done and everything we're doing right now. So take, I will take full responsibility for all my choices I will take full responsibility for everything I do. I won't blame anybody else. I won't depend upon circumstances. I'm going to take responsibility for what happens. I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to do the best I can. And if I mess up, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to be accountable for it. I'm going to man up. I'm going to woman up. I'm going to child up, and I'm going to say, I did it. God, I did it. And then we can go to God and we can say, God, wipe it out, blot it out, obliterate it, God, wash it thoroughly. Wash it and completely remove it. Because, God, I know, as David says, God, when you look into my heart and you look into my deeds and I'm naked before you and you're washing me, God, when you see my boo-boos, my sin, when you see what I've done, you are justified if you want to judge me. You are justified. And, and the word 
the words here, justified when you judge, can also be translated, you will win your case in court. You will win. I know this, God. Because I have always been a sinner. Verse 5 says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Theologians call that original sin. It doesn't mean that we were sinful because of the way we were born. It doesn't mean that the manner in which we were conceived is sinful. It doesn't mean anything about us having been sinful because we did something. It simply means we are born sinful. Original sin is part of every one of us. And David is saying that, God, I'm king. You know what, God, I'm not accountable to anybody. The kings weren't accountable to anybody. But he knew he was accountable to God. And he said, Lord, I I was sinful from birth. And I confess this to you. I take full responsibility for what I did. I blame no one. I make no excuses. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this. When we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. When we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. And let me just add something here for each of us. When somebody comes to you confessing their sin, deal gently with them. When somebody comes to you and they confess they've done something wrong, receive it with graciousness. Don't say, I told you so. Don't say, don't do it again. Just say, thank you. I love you. Receive this as God receives us. Because if we deal seriously with it, we can be certain that God's forgiven it and he'll deal gently with us. So we take responsibility for all of our choices. And thirdly, we want to begin where God begins. We want to start where God starts. And so we would say, Lord, I will start on the heart. No matter what it is that you want that's new, no matter what it is that you might decide, Lord, I would like something new here. Like, if you want a new car, you might say, Lord, I still want to start in the heart. What do I really need here, God? What are you saying to me? I want a new house. Okay, God, I want to start with the heart. God, what is it that you really think I really need? I want a new relationship, God. Okay, I want to start with my heart. What is it, God, that I need to be mindful of as I begin this new relationship? I'm going to work on that, God. I'm going to work on my heart as we start something new. As you start something new, you're going to be working on my heart. We work on a lot of things. We might say, like, you know, beginning of the year, I'm working on my New Year's resolutions. Or or you might say, I'm working on my diet. I'm working on my weight. I'm working on exercise. I'm working on things of my character. Maybe I'm working on patience. Maybe it's things. Like, I'm working on my car. Or maybe I'm working on my marriage. Or obviously, maybe I'm working on my job. But God says, I want you to work on your heart and I want to work on your heart because I care more about who you are on the inside than anything you could do I care more about who you are and your attitude and your makeup and your faith about what's inside of you than anything you could ever put on the top of you Um, this personality a famous person said this and this is her picture here 
She says, whether I'm wearing lots of makeup or no makeup, I'm always the same person inside. Whether I'm wearing lots of makeup or no makeup, I'm always the same person inside. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, next slide. It's Lady Gaga. Whether I'm wearing lots of makeup or no makeup at all, I'm always the same person inside. God wants us to know we can put on clothes. We can put on faces. We can put on makeup. But we cannot put on falseness. God, we cannot put on the truth of who we are on the outside, I'm sorry, but only what's on the inside. God wants us to be aware that he sees what's on the inside. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, what lies behind you and what lies in front of you pales in comparison to what lies inside of you. God wants us to work on the inner parts, even as he is. Verses 6 through 8 says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. God wants to work on the inner parts. God wants to work on the inside. God wants us to know that he will cleanse us. David felt so guilty, but he also felt so hopeful. He says, God, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Now, the hyssop was a plant that the priest would use to dip it into blood and sprinkle it over people, especially um, lepers, to declare that they were clean. But it wasn't to cleanse them. It was to declare that they were clean. In other words, they had already been proven to be clean. The priest had already gone outside of the city where they were, looked at them in the camp where they had to stay as lepers, decided, yes, you are clean, invited them back into the city where then they would be sprinkled with hyssop, with the blood that said, you are already clean. And so what David is saying here and what God is saying to us is in Jesus, in his forgiveness, through Jesus' blood, we can already be made clean. And we can come back into this fellowship with God that we so desire. That God wants us to know that he washes us and he cleanses us. And then David says in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God wants us to have this pure heart. The word pure is the same word that's used of the pure gold that would be used to build the Holy of Holies, that would be used within the temple of God. Is the same pure that was used to talk about the furniture that would be inside of the covenant of the Holy of Holies, like the Ark of the Covenant or the candlestick holders. It was used of the type of incense that was used inside of the temple. It had to be pure incense. 
And God is saying, this is what I want to do in your heart. The heart stands for our feelings. The heart stands for our will. The heart stands for our intellect. The heart stands for the center of everything that we are. And God says, within this heart of yours, I want to make you pure. And I want to enliven that heart with my spirit. I want to enliven that heart with the breath of my life. That's what the word spirit means. It means moving wind. That God wants to breathe in us. And God wants us to have his life in us, breathing in us. He wants us to know that there are times where we may feel like our heart is dirty or even dying. We may feel that our spirit is going away from us and we don't have much desire anymore. But God says, I will come to you and I will breathe new life in you. I will create something that hasn't been there for a long time or maybe never there at all. I will create something in you that is brand new and powerful. David says, God, when you do that, there's one thing else I would like. I would like you to help me to stay loyal and steadfast. I would like you to help me to not give in to the desire to go back to the ways that I once did. God, I don't want to go through this again. God, please don't leave me. I think that's one of the most natural fears that every believer has when we sin and we recognize our sin. We're so afraid, just as David was here, don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I'm sure many people have thought, oh, I've lost my salvation when I did some terrible sin. But the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible helps us to understand it here. What we lose is we lose the joy of our salvation. But we do not lose our salvation. But when we lose the joy of our salvation, we also fear that God's going to reject us. And actually, that can be a good thing. If you feel like you have fear that God would reject you, why would you feel that? Why would you fear that? It's because of what you truly want. It's because there's a desire for God in your heart that he put there. And that God wants us to know that even though we may have that fear, we may have that feeling, he will never, ever reject us. Now, the first human heart transplant was done um, when I was 12 years old. So I was just old enough to sort of remember this was big news back then, all right? It was on the news everywhere. And so Dr. Christian Bernard from South Africa did the first human-to-human transplant in 1967. I remember that was just huge news. It was like, oh, you know, this is amazing. How could they do this? And the man that he did it in lived for about 18 days. And he didn't die because of a bad heart. He died from complications that were due to the fact that they had to give him a lot of drugs so that his body would not reject the heart. We're probably all familiar with that, even today, right? You know, you hear about friends or family, maybe they have like a kidney transplant, and always the great fear is that the body would reject that organ. It was interesting that our body tends to not want what it needs, right? That there are times where God wants to put something in us and, and we actually don't want it. We know we need it, but there's sort of this, this stuff in us that says, I don't want it. We, we kind of reject it. And David's so afraid that because his heart he knows is that way, he doesn't want God to do that to him. But what God wants us to know is that he will never reject us. 
He was always willing to put a new heart into us. He is willing to stay with us, and he wants us to have a willing spirit so that we would always want to stay with him, so that we can give to him the very best of our lives, even when the best of our lives feel so broken. In verse 17 of Psalm 51, David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. My guess is that everybody here has had a broken heart at some point in time. And the word broken means splintered. And maybe you've been there recently, or maybe you're there now. But God understands this broken and this splintered heart. And the Bible says that God will not reject a person who has a broken heart. And God will accept the person with a contrite heart. And the word contrite means thin. It means beaten thin. And maybe you feel like, man, this life has beaten me thin. My heart is just barely hanging on. But the Bible tells us that whether our heart is broken, whether our heart is contrite, that God will receive us. That God will bring to us and work on us in our hearts and from the inside out. There is all kinds of hope for us, that there is newness just waiting for us, because God is a God of creation, but he works from the inside out. I hope that in these few minutes that we've been looking at God's word, that something sort of stood out to you, something that you would want, a freshness and newness in your life. We're going to sing a song called Inside Out right now, but I want you to sing it only as you are ready to sing it. And I want you to sing it as a prayer to God. And for each of us, there's different ways that we respond to God. And and maybe your way of responding to God is just sitting there quietly and listening to the words. Maybe your way of responding to God is to stand up and raise your hands. Maybe your way of responding to God is to bow down and kneel. Maybe your way of responding is to close your eyes and pray. Or maybe your way of responding is to write God a prayer. I want you to feel free to respond in any way that you want to. And on our welcome card, there's different ways you also may respond. Maybe you want to respond by becoming a Christian and asking God for salvation. There's a box there where you can write that, and you may have questions about God. You can also write that, that I have desire to know more about God. You may have a prayer request for yourself or for somebody else. You can write that. And so while we are singing this song, I just want you to respond in any way that you feel is the right way for you to respond to God. Because he comes to us with love. And he comes to us with grace. And he says, no matter where you are, no matter how old or how young you are, I have something new for you. I have something fresh for you. I want to renew you. I want to inspire you. I want to bless you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the good things that you give to us. And so, Lord, right now we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And even now, Lord, that we would begin just to know how you would have us to respond to you from within our lives, from within our heart. Lord, speak to us. Help us to hear. Lord, thank you that you receive us. In Jesus Christ, in his name we pray, amen.